Okay, guys, listen up. Seltzer is all the rage these days, and now there's even hard seltzer. Speaking of which, have you tried Bud Light Seltzer? so good. It's seltzer with a hint of fruit flavor. And get this, it's only 100 calories, two grams of carbs, and less than one gram of sugar. Plus, it's gluten-free. It's perfect for when my friends are bugging me to have a drink with them, and I don't want hard alcohol. I can just have my Bud Light seltzer. Thank you very much. I'm obsessed with the black cherry, but it also comes in strawberry, lemon lime, and mango. I mean, make that sound better. I bet you want to try them all right now, right? This is making me extremely thirsty. Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. Welcome to the Jillian Michaels Show. (laughs) That's just that. That's it. That was very arena. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was just gonna leave. I was gonna, I was just gonna wait for you to look at me with those big eyes and wonder where the Janice part no, was. No, I've, I've got it. I got it all in check here. Oh, you've internalized your your healthy ego strength. <laughs> you don't need. Yeah. You don't need external validation. No, I'm just happy for you. I'm, oh. just, I'm here. For, I'm here for for oh, you. Oh well, thank you, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Yeah, brand new show. Yep. You excited? I am. Yeah, I get am. We have a guest excited. coming up later on, too. Who do we have today? We have Christine Jones coming up. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, this woman, she is uh, she's general counsel for GoDaddy. I met her at their Christmas party a while back, and she ended up terrorizing me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Educating me about these rogue pharmacies on the internet and how they're killing people, and our teenagers are getting drugs and steroids on these sites behind our back, and... Yeah. Anyway, she's going to come on and she's going to teach us about the dangers of the Internet for our kids and even our parents and what we can do to help safeguard our families. Cool. Yeah. Uh, But here's something interesting. I was watching this thing on Good Morning America the other day, uh, and it was all about how we eat with our eyes. And I'll explain that in a second. But then I was reading an article in Psychology Today few days later and it was talking about our perception of food so if we're told something is healthy we think it's automatically going to taste bad if we're told that something if we're told to eat something and they take away our free will if we're told to do something we resent it and we think it's going to taste bad so i started realizing that there's obviously this whole psychology behind the way your food tastes, the way you perceive that your food tastes. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your your eyes telling you how your food is going to taste or your perception of a word telling you how your food is going to taste or feeling controlled is going to have an effect on how your food is going to taste. That it really is very minimally about your taste buds. Your taste buds. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, this is, fa- it was fascinating stuff. And this coincides with research that suggests no matter how much we tell people, eat better, eat better, eat better, eat more fruits and vegetables, eat more fruits and vegetables, the statistics for people doing so are continuously going down. Going down. Since 2000, every single year, the percentage of people that are consuming 
three servings of fruits and vegetables has continued to go down. The percentage of people that is consuming two servings of fruits and vegetables are continuing to go down. And it's generally like 1% a year. So like I'm looking at the the Psychology Today article and it says a mere 26.3% of American adults consumed three or more vegetable servings a day in 2009, only to have it drop to 25.1% in 2010. And it goes on to show uh, how people in the year 2000 32.5% of us were consuming two servings of fruits and vegetables. And then in the year 2001, it was 34%. Or It just continues to go down. Anyway, the the whole point being, how is that possible when all the rhetoric out there is saying, please eat better, please eat better, food is medicine. And here's what's so interesting about it. So I'm watching this Good Morning America thing, and they were talking about food coloring and why. There's food coloring in our food because, you know, there's a lot of controversy right now about food coloring in the health of our kids. There's some theories that suggest, notice I say theories that suggest, ah, you get slapped with another lawsuit. (laughs) Um, There are some studies, theories that suggest that artificial color uh, can have a very negative impact on our kids' health, in particular their cognitive function. Some studies suggest that artificial color might be linked to ADHD, behavioral disorders, their ability to focus in school and all of that, Um, and of course a host of other health issues when it comes to artificial color. So why then do these companies use artificial coloring? Well, because the studies will show that not just children, I used to think it was just kids, but all of us eat with our eyes and we associate uh, colors like black and purple as food that has gone rotten. We associate lemon, like yellow, yeah. as, as as the color yellow is something that's sour. Green is something that's tart. Red is something that's sweet. And so they made jello. This is fascinating. They made jello. One was totally clear. One was red. And one was yellow. And they were all the same flavor. And it was fascinating to see these people tried to figure out what flavor these three jellos were. And sure enough, it was like the red one's berry. And it was lime. It was lime. They were all lime jello. And the yellow one, they're like, oh, this is a lemon meringue. And then the, the clear one, they're like, this is a, like a vanilla flavored jello. And, and it, it they're all. all lime. They were all lime. So right off the bat, it shows you that very little of it has to do with the way that your body is tasting the food. And so much of it is the perception you have in your brain. So if you could change the perception you have in your brain of healthier foods, it would make it that much easier to consume them on a regular basis. Now, here's another one. So going on in this Psychology Today article, they talk about two protein bars. They did a study, two protein bars, right? The nutritional content of the bars were identical. However, on half of the bars, they described them as healthy, in quotes, while the other half were described as tasty, in quotes, (laughs) right? Overwhelmingly, the healthier samples proved the least satisfying and left subjects wanting to consume more than their tastier counterparts satisfied more. So, sorry, sorry. Hold on. Let me reread that. Uh, Samples proved left satisfying and left subjects wanting to consume more. Their tastier counterparts satisfied more. So people who ate the bar that was labeled healthy were like, I'm still hungry. They, in their mind, did not feel satiated. And the people that ate the bar that said tasty 
felt satiated. What's wrong with us? <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? It is. But wait, it's not over. Oh, I'm not oh, done. Nice. So here's one that's really... So this, this is me. This is the rebel at heart. Now, they've shown that when we try to impose healthy eating, that the consequences are we rebel. We resist. That nothing, quote, tastes as good as free will. So when we're told to eat things that are healthy for us, we resent it and we think, you know, I I didn't want that. I'm not full. I still want to have what I want to have. And we rebel against it and end up eating more. So when you try to impose habits on people, healthy eating habits, they rebel and they reject it. That's very good. Nothing tastes as good as free will. Yeah. That's Nothing is going to taste as good as free will. And when I think about that and how true that is, whenever, come on, think about when you're trying to convince somebody of something. The first thing they're going to do, the more you try to push them into something, the more they're going to resist. Right. You need to work out. You need to be healthy. You need to. And they're like, get away from me. They resist. They rebel. They resent yeah. it. No matter what it is, it doesn't even have to be eating healthy. No matter what it is, if you try to force somebody into a scenario, they're going to be pissed about it and they're going to rebel, even if it's better for them. I read this great book called The Influencer, and it talks about how to gently manipulate people into bringing people around to your way of thought. And one of the things that it suggests is, and I've talked about this on the show when I'm trying to help somebody get a family member to be healthy, ask them leading questions, manipulate them into thinking it's their idea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So what they said is kids, they use an example in psychology today of kids who were offered carrots and they didn't want the carrots. But when you offered them broccoli and carrots, the kids chose the carrots because it was their choice. Free will. It was like, here's a choice. Broccoli and carrots. I choose carrots. Then it was their idea. And then they were perfectly happy. But when there was only carrots, they were pissed about it. Oh, man, our brains are Isn't that nutso? So one of the things that we can do to essentially help ourselves and our kids eat healthier, provide choices. So, you know, it doesn't just have to be carrots or french fries. Give them several options. Get them involved. Take them to the supermarket. Play games with them. What fruits and vegetables do we want to try today? Let's make something new together. Make it their idea. Get them invested. Give them a choice. Even though you're controlling the choice, give them a choice. And that goes for us, too. It's got to be your choice if you're eating healthy. It can't just be me bitching at you all the time, even though I enjoy doing it. I know you do. It's, I, and I do. Mm-hmm. It's got to be about you wanting to be healthier. And that's one of the reasons why in Unlimited I talk about forming an emotional connection to your goal. That it has to be something you want for yourself. It has to be your idea. So that your healthier food is going to taste better to you because it's going to mean everything that you want in the long run from uh, being a centurion, living to 100, seeing your grandchildren's children graduate from high school, wearing a bikini uh, at spring break, you know, looking hot at your 20th wedding anniversary, dancing with your daughter at her wedding, whatever it might be, you got to find a way to form an emotional connection to that where it's not you know, the doctors, the experts bitching at you constantly where you're going to resent it because the truth of the matter is that those people just represent that omnipresent parental figure that are always pointing the finger at you and telling you what to do. Unconsciously, we interpret it that way. So it's got to be your idea. And your bottom. It has to be your bottom. 
Your bottom. Your new bottom. You don't. You don't come. The the bottom has to hit before you're going to make any change. Oh, I thought you were saying your bottom like your butt. Like it's oh, got to be your butt, no, like a fit butt. Jillian, no, please. Like your let's, let's your stay bottom. The, I was like, it is here. my butt, and I want my butt smaller. Your bottom has to be your bottom. No one can tell you where yeah. your bottom is. That's exactly. I get it. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. So. Think of it that way. Form an emotional connection to eating healthy. It's got to be your idea. It's got to be worth doing. It's got to be worth fighting for. And control your environment. Studies will also show that we will grab whatever is available. Mm-hmm. So set yourself up for success. Set your kids up for success. If They, they did this whole study about fruit being left on the countertop and how people who didn't eat fruits and vegetables, when they left fruit out, they they would choose it. They would grab it. It'd be like, oh, this, yesterday I was leaving the house. My assistant uh, happened to, to walk in just now. <laughs> did I not do this? And you had a bowl of fruit on the counter, and did I not grab an apple on my way out the door? You did. Yeah. And I did not even want an apple. I know, but they were so good looking, weren't they? They were tasty looking. Because <laughs> I wasn't even thinking, God, I want an apple. But as I was walking out the door, I was like, oh, those are pretty. Shiny red little treats. Shiny treats. Shiny treats. And I grabbed an apple as I was walking out the door. So, but but I'll tell you, if there was a bag of pop chips, that's what I would have grabbed. If there was a bag of Doritos, I know better. But for the average bear, they might have grabbed that. You're going to sure. grab what's readily available to you. Use your environment to set you up for success. That helps a lot. And then, this is also really important, with your kids... Don't say this is really healthy for you. Say things like, this is really delicious. This is really awesome. This is really creamy. Like if it's oatmeal, don't go, oh, this is really good for your health. Kids are like, what? No, this is so creamy. You're going to love <laughs> this. Not even it's going to taste really good. <laughs> I, know, she I do it. I will. I'll be like this. <laughs> Why do you think it's coming out so I spit on this oatmeal. Pooey. Poo. Cack. Oh, my God. I'm just saying. So, redefine it for them. Get them involved. Make it accessible. Redefine it for them. Give them a choice. And the same goes for us. Make your psychology work for you instead of against you. Huh? Yeah, eating with your eyes. That's that's very cool. And and your your thoughts. And your thoughts. And And your your brain. Yeah. All right, now what? Oh, my God. Well, I was going to add something about hummingbirds, but it probably hasn't got anything to do with it. Don't add red. See, see, that's the first time. No. I just, just, this is very important. And I was thinking about this when you talked about the colors. Hummingbird? Where are you going? Yeah, Rosie's leaving. Rosie's leaving. Oh. You don't want to hear the part about hummingbirds? Nothing tastes good than skinny feels. Or wait, what was it? Get out. Oh, no, hang on. No, it was very good. Hang on. Nothing tastes as good as free will. Free will. See? Get out of here. <laughs> now, let me finish this important thing about the hummingbirds before we take a little break. You're now. being serious about I'm being serious. No, because you, you were just saying about the like colors. A... Colors attract. And they've made a survey that, okay. you know, we always want to add red dye, thinking, oh, the hummingbirds are going to come to the red sugar water. <gasps> That's right. And it's bunk. It's bunk. Are they dying, poor little guys? Well, it's probably not good for them, but I, I was talking to my that. local bird man, because, you know, I, I, I like uh, to feed uh, the birds, uh, and he <laughs> told me that. I love to feed the birds. Don't add the hummingbirds. will eat it or suck it up through their little noses. Oh, my God. You don't need to add color. Oh, my God. If the hummingbirds don't need it, we don't need it. Thank you, and I'm I'm done now with my speech. Your local bird man? Everybody's got to have a bird man. We definitely are going to need a break right here. That yeah. was, I don't even know how to recover from that. Well, I think the it's local. helpful information. You know, it's June. The birds are out. Feed your local birds and get a local bird man. Thanking you. And good night. <laughs>
We'll be right back. I'm going to get you those therapist recommendations from my mom this week. I am. I'm going to check in on those right now. Okay. 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 Cue the music. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools. Neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it. So it's time for your guest now. It is time for my guest. Yes. You're going to love this one. It's actually terrifying. Oh, good. It's, oh, I know. It's, it's, it's terrifying, but again, we're going to give you solutions and things that you can do to safeguard yourself and your family. I was at the GoDaddy Christmas party. Uh, obviously quite a bit ago, about six, seven months ago, and I met a lady named Christine Jones, who's general counsel for GoDaddy, and we entered into, you know, what seemed like a harmless conversation about (laughs) kids and the internet, and I ended up learning all of these dangers that exist beyond, you know, the Facebook and the social networking, but everything from rogue pharmacies to children being able to access porn online. I, I truly did not have any idea about any of this until getting into this conversation and it scared me especially now that I'm working on becoming a mother Mm -hmm. uh, I want to protect my own kids and in realizing this I now can think back to stories I've heard in the news about kids that did buy drugs online or steroids or you name it Oxycontin and ended up overdosing and so we engaged in this incredible conversation and I wanted to invite Christine Jones on today to talk to us about what to look out for and how to protect ourselves and our families. Christine welcome the show. Hey, good to be here. I think last time I saw you, we were in Washington at this fabulous conference together. We were. We do very fun things. I'm not kidding you. You have some really extremely devoted fans because those people were really, really loyal to you. And I loved it. Uh, I thought it was great. Thank you. I never you. seen anything like it. I, I got to say that the, the men and women that definitely subscribe to the podcast or, or follow, follow me on Twitter or jam.com, they're so they're almost, it's fascinating. I don't even consider them fans. I consider them cohorts, mm-hmm. emissaries, because they go into the world and they help other people eat right and work out. It's become a movement. It's like an army of wellness people. It's it's very encouraging. Well, it's certainly a testament to what you've been doing and focusing on getting people healthy and living good lives is a, is a good way to spend your time. So. Oh, thank you, buddy. So I wanted you to come on and scare people <laughs> the way, I mean, I'm just going to be honest, the way you scared the heck out of me and yet I came away feeling like okay I know what to look for I know how to manage this situation and it's better to always have the knowledge and be aware so the first thing I want to talk about are rogue pharmacies can you tell everybody what exactly this is and how we can how they sort of come into our lives without us even realizing it well you get advertisements for rogue pharmacies every day and you may, you may not know it but it'll be an email and it'll advertise Viagra or Cialis or some other sort of yep. drug that you can get online. And it's an email usually from a friend. It, it'll be a friend. Yeah, or, they get like yeah, a I virus mean, or something, and it'll say, like, you know, one of my buddies will email me a link to Viagra, and I'll be like, oh, dude, you, you got a virus or something. Yeah. Well, but, and not only that, but, you know, you get, you get these advertisements, and they look totally legitimate, and you think, oh, I, this seems much cheaper than what I'm paying at my pharmacy. Right. Let me click through and check this thing out. Of course. And you go to the site. And it turns out you don't know this, but what you're looking at is really an illegal drug seller who 
instead of standing on the corner, now is pushing drugs online. How is that even possible? How how is how's the FDA not cracking down on these guys? Where's the government in this? Why well, are- they are. They are extremely active. The DEA and the FDA. In fact, we worked with them in 2010. We just that one year alone, we shut down 36,000 of what? these websites. Yeah. 36,000 yeah. of them? Yeah, it's big. And you can imagine, these people are very motivated because they're making a, a lot of money selling bad drugs. And it's really scary. And, and the reason you should be scared is because even though it seems like a good deal, oh, I can get OxyContin or whatever the drug is with no prescription and it's way cheaper than I can get it at the drugstore, yeah. you may not be getting what you think you're getting. That OxyContin or, God forbid, your cancer drug, your blood pressure medication, your heart medicine, it might be nothing more than some powder and some glue and some paint <sighs> put into a little pill to make it look like it's Lipitor. That's terrifying. It's, it's terrifying. And, and you know what? The, 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 real, the real shame is that people who tend to fall prey to those are young people right. because they don't know what to look for and elderly people because they're not suspicious. Well, here's here's what the hard part is. So many elderly people, so many people cannot afford their medications. So when they see these rogue pharmacies and they think, oh, you know, this is coming from Canada. They've got socialized medicine over there. Everything's cheaper over there because we all have the friend who comes from Canada or from Europe. And they say, oh, you know what? You I got that whole prescription for you know, a dollar a pill and you paid $20 a pill. And we as Americans think, okay, we, you know, you've heard about everybody taking the bus over to Canada to get medications and things like that. I, I, or going in California, south of the border into Mexico to buy drugs. And so what are these guys actually doing? Are they going over, over the, across the borders and like then, you know, keeping it in their basement and shipping it to people or they're, they're, could also possibly be creating fake versions of these drugs, or is any of this legit at all? Well, some of the some of the ones that we see do actually sell the real drug, and those tend to be sites that are not authorized by the, the drug seller or the drug manufacturer. They just get the drugs, and then they sell them kind of in the secondary market. But you can't get those for cheap. Those tend to be much more expensive. They just come with no prescription, right. which, by the way, people who abuse drugs want to find. Of course. The ones that are cheap, of though... Course. The drug manufacturers who have a set price that they have to charge because, frankly, it cost them a whole lot of money to come up with that invention, mm-hmm. they don't sell their drug for a dollar on the Internet, right? So, I mean, you should automatically be suspicious when you go and you find something that's too good to be true, right? Because we all know that saying. Yes, right? Yeah, but, of course, you know, okay. And, and if, if you want to go to Canada or you want to go to Mexico and you can find a legitimate pharmacy, then maybe those practices are fine and that's perfectly legal in this country but boy i tell you if you if you think you found that same deal online you're probably getting something that's not what it says it is got it okay and what about kids in particular athletes i've heard of of even young girls going on these sites and getting diet drugs fentramine uh things like clenbuterol which is an asthma medication uh, that they take for weight loss. I've heard boys getting uh, getting steroids in, we, on these sites. Is we this, see it all the time. You do. And, you it know, is a real. Okay, so I wasn't sure if this was like urban legend or if this is real, like the high school kids and the football team getting things like Winstrol and, you know, testosterone, steroids, things on the uh, – is this where they're getting it? They get them from these sites, and, you know, it's interesting because these bad guys are very clever. So they'll target those – 
two young kids, kids who they know have image issues, who are exactly the people that you're trying to communicate with, right? These people who need a lifestyle change, but they want a shortcut. Right. So it's, hey, teenage girl, you're being made fun of right now. Take this drug, which is some kind of appetite suppressant or right. some kind of um, energy enhancer, right. and you're going to be skinny. And if you're 16 and you're being made fun of and bullied, right. you might be inclined to fall prey to that. The problem is, we, and we've seen it, and this is the reason I got really involved in this, and this goes way back to 2006, but the reason I got involved in it in the first place is because we were seeing kids getting those drugs, and I'm not making this up, okay, these are real documented stories, having the drugs delivered to their house, which oh they purchased God. with their parents' credit card, oh. they take it to their party on Friday night, right. and God forbid, one kid overdoes it, overdoses on the drug, and dies. Right. Literally, we're talking about people dying. So that's why I got extremely passionate about this and have been pushing through some legislation to try to make this safer. But the real education has to go to the consumers, and the parents have to know what their kids are doing online. Right, okay, because I was going to gonna say, so, so what are you guys doing and what can we do to protect? Also, I think a lot of the 30-year-olds, the 40-year-olds, the 50-year-olds out there have elderly parents that are looking for, like you said, the the Lipitor, the cancer drugs, this, that, and then simultaneously have teenagers that are looking for the diet drugs, the Oxycontins, the, uh, you know, all of that stuff. So what, what, what are you guys doing? What can we do about it? Well, I tell you what, you having this conversation is huge because people who look up to you and respect you will listen and, and they have a network of people that they can go talk to because the education piece is really the most important. What we do is we shut down those websites, and you know, we're the biggest hosting provider in the world, right. so we have the ability to, to hit a bunch of them, but we don't have every website. Right. So we, we can shut down the ones that we have here at GoDaddy, but you know, look, if you're the parent of the teenager or you're the daughter or son of the elderly parent, you, you gotta be educated and you, you gotta be careful and watch out for what these people are doing. Where is their money going? Where did the drugs that are sitting in their medicine cabinet come from? Okay. Did it come from a legitimate pharmacy, which is, has a legitimate presence online, which we all know, right? right? There are only about 10 of them in the whole world that are, that are legitimate. Okay. Or did it come from some bargain basement place, which is too good to be true? Okay. And how can you monitor your kids though? What are some things that you can do? Is there any way to block these things, these firewall, these sites, or code? There's nothing you can do about that, is there? Well, there, there are plenty of parent parental supervision software packages that you can put. Oh. You know, ki- kids are pretty clever, Jillian, right? <laughs> okay. They have a way of getting around these I things. I thought that so. I was like, that's a, I was excited about that. So that, <laughs> it, it's like you could try it, but... For the, for the little bitty kids, they work pretty well, but, you know, kids get smart, and they learn how to get around these things, and or they go to the library, or they go to their friend's house, or whatever. Right. I mean, they're okay. going to be exposed to this stuff. So okay. the main thing is, wh- where is their money going, right? So are you actually seeing credit card purchases come through on your, okay. on your statement to places that you So you, you need know. a credit card to buy this stuff. Pretty you, much, you, yeah. Okay, I mean, so you can't do, like, cash on delivery. There, there will never be cash on delivery. It's either going to be a PayPal or a credit card type of transaction. Got so it. Okay. That's one way you can monitor it if okay. you're a parent. But also, I think you just have to, you know, this is the same thing we always tell parents about any of these things. Be aware of what your kid is doing online. Know who their Facebook friends are. Know what websites they go to. Look at their browsing history. 
forbid them from deleting their browsing history. Oh, that's Make sure clever. their browsing cache is still in the system. And if they delete it, they lose their privileges. Got it. You know, you you want to be able to track back to every single website that they went that's to. That's really smart. I got to tell you, I mean, one of my uh, one of my losing it uh, families uh, who I stay in touch with, her daughter is 13, and they get in these huge fights about her wanting to be her friend on Facebook. <laughs> and, you know, the, the oh. daughter's like, I do not want you on here. And she <laughs> writes me and she's like, am I? And I'm like, you're asking me? I don't even have kids. You can't ask me. Because I, I, I would absolutely insist on being their Facebook friend. But I wouldn't post. I can understand, like, not to go on there and post nerdy mom things. So I, I would stay away from that. But so you're saying that it is absolutely essential that you monitor their Internet activity. Don't let them delete their history and stay on their social networking sites. Follow Absolutely. them on Twitter. Be their Facebook friend. But And you're right. There, there's an appropriate interaction for the parent on their Facebook or the parent on their, if they still have a MySpace, their MySpace or their Twitter or their Foursquare or whatever social network you're talking about. And you don't have to be the stupid mom that posts stuff. But right. you should know who their friends are. You okay. should know what images they're posting. You should know what location services they're using. I mean, this gets into a bigger, bigger discussion, but... What's a, what do you mean what location services safe. they're using? Well, what? you know, you can you can put a picture up and you can tag it with a location oh, God. that tells people exactly where you were when you posted it. Really? Yeah, and, and so, you know, you don't want your 13-year-old locate, locating themselves when they post a picture of themselves. Right, and, of course you know, not. I mean, come on, we get calls from people all the time that say, there's a picture of my daughter on, on a website. And, you know, it's in some compromising position. We don't have to get specific. Okay. Can you please take it down? And I'll say, well, ma'am, how did that picture of your daughter get on that website? Well, you know, her boyfriend took it, and then he texted it to somebody, oh. and then the whole school got it, and, and then they put it on their Facebook, and then that person copied it here and there and there. And so, you know, you got to know. Don't uh, take the picture in the first place. Right. right? Which <laughs> is about having that communication with your kids. Yeah. That's also so key. Okay, and now, no, but here's something that I that I want to talk to you about because this t- kind of terrifies me. My eight-year-old, my best friend, comes home the other day, and my eight-year-old godson is on the internet looking at porno. Oh God! And she's just like, you know, you know, she ends up getting in a. He heard about it at his dad's house. And he went home and he looked it up on the internet and, you know, she's in this conversation and she's talking to me. She's like, I can't believe I'm having to have this conversation with my son. But of course, you know, she, at that point, it's like she has to get into an open dialogue. How that, I mean, kids can see, I remember when I was that age and it's like, if your dad had a Playboy upstairs, it was a scandal, you know, you're like, oh, you know, you sneak the magazine and you're just looking. I mean, nowadays the things that are, the things that children see, it's shocking it's shocking to me at 37 i'm like oh my god i never did see that ever and all these kids how can you protect them from that is there anything that you could do about that well some of the adult website content providers actually are responsible and they intend their content only to be used for adults so the filters the software filters that parents can use will block some of that content what software filters can you suggest to parents you know what? I, I can't tick, tick any off off the top of my head. Okay. But, but there are some. Some of them come inherent in your new PC when you okay. buy it. Or, Got you know, it. There, you can just Google the the parental filters and probably a thousand of them will come okay, up. Okay, good. Okay, got it. But, you know, the, the, the main point of the whole 
having your kid online discussion is know what your eight-year-old is looking at. So why was your eight-year-old allowed to go on a computer that you weren't monitoring? Okay, get the computer out of his bedroom, get it into your living room where you're actually watching it. Wow, okay. (laughs) um, He has a laptop. He's got a laptop. The little guy runs around with his laptop and he'll just, you know, go from room to room. So I I get it. All right. You know, I know it seems really like a mean parent stance to take, but don't let your kid connect to the wireless when he's in his room. You know, that's a, that's a way to, to police it when he's eight years old. The Got what it. do you do when your kid is at your friend's house thing is tougher. Right. Because um, you just know. God, I've, I've heard scary. that about fast food. Like, people say to me, oh, really, Jillian? What are you going to do when, you know, the carpool <laughs> goes through McDonald's? But it's ne- Or what are you going to do when they're at the friend's house and they're eating, you know, Cheetos? What are you going to do? I've never, ever heard, like, what are you going to do when they're at their friend's house looking at porn on the Internet or when they become a teen and there's rogue fire? It's like... The, being a parent nowadays has got to be so much. It's so much more daunting. It's work. Gosh. It really and, and we see a lot of parents who are just uninvolved, and of course, their kids become victims okay. of one thing or another just because they're not aware. Okay. And, and I, I talk to high school kids a lot about this, and I tell them, look, I know you know more about the internet than your parents do. Yeah, that's the other problem. The eight-year-old knows more about the internet than his mom. Yeah. And, and I know this sounds anathema. You do not want to do this, but do it anyway. If your parents don't know how to do what you do, teach them. Take the time to show them how to do what you're doing. Right. Not because you don't want to have independence or make your own decisions or, or become great young adults, but because there just are certain areas of judgment that adults develop over time yes. that you want the benefit of. Right. And if you give your parents that trust, they're going to give it back to you. Right. Okay. Okay. So parent filters we can Google and come up with, and we can we can essentially employ some of those techniques to try to block the younger kids from accessing the more right. gratuitous things on the internet. Communication and monitoring all of their internet. I love the idea. I never even thought about because kids always have those. They have tablets now and mm-hmm. iPhones, and I mean it's unbelievable. And by the way, it's not just it's not just rich kids. I was at a food bank recently. <laughs> I'm not I'm not kidding you. I was volunteering at a food bank with a buddy of mine, and I was talking to this mom, and she had three teenage boys, and one was in high school, one was in junior high, and one was in elementary school. And when we left, my friend goes, you know each one of those kids had an iPhone, right? And I was like, really? I, I mean, like, I feel like an idiot every single day these days. Uh, you know, and so that means that every single one of those kids then is going to have access access to the internet at all and so now i'm thinking desktops we're going to be old school <laughs> i am uh, yeah, right, i mean well, gets older godson who takes his laptop from room to room he does yeah okay fine now if it were me Got i would prevent him from using the computer in the bedroom but i have friends who won't do that with their kids in fact they give them tvs and and tivo and dvrs and computers and everything else right in their bedroom which they can look out behind closed doors right. and if that's your position then you know you take your parenting as you take it but right. but that doesn't mean that you can't then go after they browse and see what they're browsing Day browse? What is that? No, I'm just saying that doesn't oh. mean that even if they have oh. a tablet or they have an iPhone, I get it. Or they ha- 
go go take a look at where they went. Check their history. Don't let them clear yeah, their history. If yeah. they clear their history, they lose their privileges. Yeah, and, and the kid knows you're not going to look at his text messages, and you're not going to invade his privacy, and you know okay. he has an expectation of being a real human, you know, independent human. But you still have a duty to protect him as a as a parent. Got it. Thank you so much. That's really, again, like I said, scary information, but it's really important that we're aware of these things, that we don't stick our head in the sand, that we keep our line of communication open, and that we have a system to monitor what our kids are doing. It is. It's really important. And, and you know, I tell you, we, we ran across this young kid. His name is Ryan Haight, and this is back in 2006. He went online. He bought some drugs with his mom's credit card, and he... He did overdose and he died. And I was in meeting with a congressman not too long after that, and he was very upset. He said, you know, Christine, I just talked to this woman. Her son, Ryan Haight, just overdosed and died, and we need to fix this problem. Yeah. And so that kind of started us off on this this path of, of saying, what can we do as a, a major service provider to make right. a difference in the Internet? And so, so we've been trying to do that for Ryan Haight and all the other kids like him. But we must have the cooperation of the parents and the people who love you and follow you and want their kids and themselves to have healthier and better lives. We just have to have their help to, to get it done because it's a massive, massive undertaking. So it's so I hear all the parallels and it, it sounds like everything that I say when it comes to health and wellness. It's like I could go to Washington and I can fight over our federal agribusiness policies and where our ta- what foods our subsidy dollars are going to. But at the end of the day, if the public isn't demanding change from their representatives, if they're not voting with their dollars on healthier foods, if they're not being personally accountable wherever and whenever they possibly can for their own wellness it's not going to get done Absolutely. so it seems like w- with any of these undertakings it's a battle that needs to be fought on a myriad of fronts and those people who have access and have the voice go and deal with it when it comes to policy but it's it's always going to be supply and demand we're whatever we ask for as a, a as the public as the masses, is really where the power is going to come from. So I, I get it. I love what you're saying. And I, I can't thank you enough for making us aware of this and giving us some t- tips and techniques to help manage it in our own homes. My pleasure. And maybe next time at the Christmas party, we can talk about something happier. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> thank you. Jeez. I mean, it's all right. I already don't sleep at night, for goodness sake. Thank but hey, thanks me. a lot for having me. It's really fun. I always love to see you and love to chat with you. So uh, thanks for having me on. It was a real pleasure to be here. Right back at you. Have a great day. Okay, we got to take a little breather. And then calls? Yes, ma'am. Don't chintz out on my calls. No, I won't. I promise. Okay, we are back, and we have time for we have time for one call. God, you're one, such a stickler these days. You know, someone's got to have discipline in this show. And, and well, it's, it's certainly <laughs> not you. So Michelle is waiting on the line. Uh, Michelle, hello. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm fabulous. How are you? I'm good, buddy. What's going on? Well, I just had a question that, you know, you read all kinds of different information, and they talk about working out and diet mm-hmm. and how important diet is. And I know that it's important, but what kind of effect can mental baggage have a on, you know, becoming healthier or your weight loss? Wow. Uh, a lot. 
I mean, let's be honest. When you know, when you see people, uh, I reference Biggest Loser because it was you know a huge part of my life for the last seven years. You know, that is not a love of Twinkies. That is somebody that is committing a slow suicide uh, because of unresolved issues, uh, coping mechanisms for pain and baggage from the past. So. A lot. But with that said, it, it, it really depends on the individual. So if you're looking at somebody that's like, gosh, I've got 20 pounds to lose and it won't come off, probably not, you know, probably not a baggage issue. But if you're looking at somebody that, again, is suiciding with food or is having a severe, if, if there are destructive behaviors in their life uh, because they are coping with unresolved baggage, a lot. Like, do you have a specific example? Well, I just know, like, even for myself, um, I don't have a lot of weight to lose. I work a lot, but it's like that. Wait, we lost you, buddy. Hang on, say that again. You said you don't have a lot of weight to lose, and then I lost you. Oh, okay. Um, I work out a lot, and I maybe have probably about 5 to 10 pounds, but it just seems like no matter how hard I work, I I can't get it. I wouldn't say that's mental baggage. It just sounds to me probably, unless, I mean, unless I'm missing something, that to me is probably just you are, it sounds like you're probably overtraining. To be frank, it sounds like you're probably, you know, really like obsessed and you might have a little OCD going on and you, you want to be, you know, perfect. And I, I get that. But generally that's the last five to 10 pounds is because people approach it as though they're trying to lose 50 and they create too much of a calorie deficit and they overtrain and they don't eat enough. And, um, but what would lead you to believe that you you're mentally being held back from the last five pounds? (laughs) Well, I've been reading your book and, um, I thought that I had dealt with a lot of different mental stuff. Mm. And as I've been reading, I've kind of came across a bunch of stuff that hasn't been dealt with yet. No, you're talking about unlimited. Uh-huh. Right. Okay, but here's here's my bigger question. Beyond losing the last five pounds, where are you seeing um, inhibited happiness in every aspect of your life? Are you noticing that it's holding you back in some way professionally? Are you noticing that it's holding you back in some way personally? Are you yeah. noticing that it's not allowing you to celebrate the fact that you are probably incredibly healthy because five pounds is not, you know, that is not unhealthy. That's a matter of, you know, a quest for perfection. And, and I that's fine. I, I've, I've played that game myself a lot. I've written books about it. But with that said, there does come a time where, you know, we need to celebrate <laughs> the successes that we have. So, so where are you finding that these issues might be inhibiting your happiness? No, it, it, it really doesn't. Um, I'm a pretty positive person, so it really doesn't inhibit everything else. I just, it's just one of those things that as I've been reading, and then I have a couple, I'm a personal trainer. Oh, great. And I have a couple clients. Um, one of my clients has had, I'm having a huge challenge with her in this aspect to the point where I've actually referred her to yeah. going to a therapist. Smart. Very smart of you. Um, and then I have another one that um, has lost 150 pounds. She has gained back about 30 or 40 of it. Sure. And I really, the mm-hmm. more that I, I, I am thinking, the more that her and I talk, she's really a shy person. Okay. And I really think that the weight came from kind of hiding 
Okay, and and well, I'm sure there's a lot to that. And then you you'd have to say, you know, what is she hiding from? What is she trying to cover up? When it comes to people that are morbidly obese, I find that an integrated approach with them is the most effective. Where they're getting the support, they're doing the deeper emotional work, and simultaneously they're learning about diet, they're learning about exercise, they're having those small successes in the gym, they're seeing the weight loss, it's building their self-esteem, they're being educated and informed, they're experiencing a, a reality where the glass is half full, and that's really important because that's a reality they can buy into. And when they start to experience these successes in that part of their life, they get stronger physically and thus stronger emotionally and psychologically to take on challenges in every aspect of their life. But you'll find that an integrated approach is critical, not just to lose the weight, but like you said, to keep it off, because that kind of weight is off. It's a symptom, period. It's a symptom of something else. And if you don't get to the bottom of the the core of the issue, then yeah, they're probably going to put the weight back on. That's why the percentage of people who lose a significant amount of weight and gain it back is 95%. Okay. And when people talk about Biggest Loser and you know the critics would say, oh really, well how many of those people put it back on? And I was like, actually only 35%. 65% of the Biggest Loser contestants kept it off, which is wow. because of a more integrated approach. But then again, some of them would go home and they'd be faced with all those old demons, those old issues. They didn't have a support system in place. They might have gone home too early. They weren't aware. They weren't ready. They weren't strong enough, what have you. And they would put it back on. But nevertheless, your uh, your desire to get them into counseling or help them be supported and look at the deeper issue is really intelligent your instinct your instincts are in the right place um and i i think that you're obviously if you're feeling like she's shy she's covering something up if you're having an empathetic response to her go with your gut and one of the things that i usually and i'm again i'm not telling you you should be her therapist but as her friend and as somebody who's there to support her Whenever I would work with people in those scenarios, I would see what was coming up for me and I would bounce it off of them. So, for example, on losing it, I had a woman uh, whose house was in complete chaos and total disarray. And mm-hmm. I, she was not a hoarder. She was willing to let things go. I was like, okay, what are we dealing with here? And when I was talking to the show's therapist... It was like, okay, what's coming up? You know, what do you think? And I said, I feel like this is a woman who's who's just given up, who's experiencing total apathy, because hoarding is a, a totally different condition. And he said, all right, well, why don't you see, you know, bounce that off of her? And I said, you know, I'm feeling like you've just completely given up this and that. And I wait, waited to see how she responded and what she thought and what resonated with her. And then we started moving down that path. But like I said. Do this to support them appropriately, but it's not, you don't have to, it's not your job and you could even get into trouble. Leave that deep stuff to the therapist. Point your people in the right direction and make them aware. What I want you to think about is opening up their eyes, waking them up and building their strength so that they can deal with these deeper things when they're, when they're in therapy or in a support group to really start uh, sifting through it. Okay. Do you think that um, you said that you mentioned it to her, what you thought the issue was? Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished a, a fitness coach program, 
And they said in there that you shouldn't, that you're supposed to, you know, make them come up with it. And that's where I'm struggling with a few people because it's like, how do you do that when they don't see it? No. You, you don't tell them what their problem is. There's a big difference between, you know, your problem is da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> right. No. But what you can say is, you know, I'm really getting a feeling here that you've, you've, you've just given up. Like you're feeling apathetic and, and hopeless. And then okay. let them see if that resonates. Let them respond. Let them say. And then it's, you know, where do you think this is coming from? And then they can say, gosh, I don't know. You look back and... You know, when was the first time you felt this way? Where is this, you know, but that said, you're not saying, I think it's because your father abused you. I think it's because, you know, you're not doing that. You're not putting ideas in their head, but you're bringing up these generalized feelings of self-worth, self-esteem, you know, resonating. Is it it resonating with them? Is it bouncing off of them? But the last thing you want to do with somebody is open up a can of worms that they aren't prepared to handle and you're not prepared to handle. And that's why, you know, you don't want to say, God, you know, you don't want to put ideas in their head that they are not ready for if they are not in a supportive environment. So you wake them up a little, you get them to start thinking, they open up, they start talking, and then you encourage them to get with a professional, a therapist to start where they can be contained in a safe environment to look at these very scary things. That makes total sense. You know, and then you support them and you help them be strong in your sessions with them of showing them, look how strong you are, look how capable you are. I'm here for you. I'm your friend. You show them love. You show them support simultaneously. That makes total sense. I just, the more you read about stuff, you know, you don't, you don't see a lot of that. We're seeing it more and more. You know, you're starting to see it more and more, but it's a fine line of where, you know, life coaching ends and therapy begins. And that's right. what you, you know, that's, and that's where we really, you know, and, and uh, where you really need to know your boundaries and you really need to know how far you can push, what's appropriate, how you can support and allow somebody to feel contained. That makes sense. And you should get, you know, you should have a therapist that you refer to. That'd be really helpful because I always work, generally it's like I would always work with therapists, whether it was on, you know, losing it um, or with personal training clients, you know, we didn't really have somebody on Biggest Loser, which, you know, there was like a general therapist that checked to make sure that they were mentally sane enough for the show. Uh, But I would always refer them when they would leave if they needed it. Okay, I'll do that. All right, buddy. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. I was interested when you were talking to Michelle yeah, uh-huh. about uh, referring to ther- Do you have to refer to a therapist after you finish working with Bruce and I? Oh, regularly. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, you're, I'm the my first calls to my mother. I'm like, oh, Mom, guess what Janice did today? Today, Janice used the word pee-pee. I think she's arrested in development at three from a traumatic incident involving a lawnmower and a potty training incident. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're a mess. We feel better now. We feel better to know that you're healed after working with us. Well, Bruce is not such a mess. (laughs) But you, Butterfly, you're a car wreck. You're pretty insane. (laughs) I think I just opened up my own can of worms here. See? There you go. Yeah. All right. We got to go. We got to say goodbye. Uh, Yeah, Janice needs to get to therapy. I do. All right. Peace. You were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar.
you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger. Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you.